Well, I think it's been a while since I've done this on a Sunday night. Oh, oh. So that one thing is, is that I forgot, I've forgotten the flow of things, um, but uh, kids, you guys can be dismissed. Thanks, Ori. <laughs> but I am glad to be able to share with you guys tonight, especially on All Saints Sunday, because while, <laughs> while the church often and regularly reminds us that we are all sinners, today we celebrate that we are all saints. Rich and poor, hungry and full, laughing and weeping, respected and ridiculed. In Luke chapter 6, which is the lectionary gospel for All Saints Day, um, Verses 20 through 20 through 31 that Jennifer just read to us so beautifully. I'm, I'm not going to read it again, but most of us are more familiar with Matthew's version of this sermon of Jesus. We call it the Beatitudes. It's called the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus says it from a mountain, but in Luke's account, it's different. It's somet- sometimes it's referred to as the Sermon on the Plain because in Luke's account, Jesus is not positioned high on a mountain. Jesus went down to where the disciples were and stood in a level place. A level place. And in this place, the disciples and the crowds draw close to the healing and the hope radiating from Jesus. And verse 20 says, then he looked at his disciples. So maybe instead of calling it the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain, maybe it should be called the Sermon where Jesus levels with us. Because whenever someone levels with me, they usually look me in the eye. Or if I find myself in a place where I need to level with someone else, It's usually uncomfortable. It's not often easy to receive because to level with someone is to speak with raw honesty. So Jesus comes to this level place. He moves in close and he looks them in the eyes. Jesus gets real with the people who are gathered there. My dilemma with this text is that, you know, whether it's called the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain, or the Sermon where Jesus gets real, It's still a sermon by Jesus that I'm supposed to preach on. So how do you preach a sermon on Jesus' sermon? And more importantly, why would you preach a sermon on Jesus' sermon? So I'm just going to read it. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, I I will, um, but before before I get into failing miserably at preaching a sermon on Jesus' sermon, let's notice who was there. Who is Jesus talking to? Who was his original audience? His disciples are there, and they are most certainly considered poor at this point. They've left everything they had. They left their livelihood, their careers. They left it all. And I imagine at times they have found themselves physically hungry. And while their present companions might bring them laughter at times, we all know the rest of the story we know that there will be mourning ahead. I imagine that there are also uh, 
more than one of them that has been ridiculed or thought less than for their current life choices. But also gathered there were actual people who were poor, who were ill, who were outcast, people on the margins of society. And the people who were physically or mentally ill, the people who were poor, oftentimes, especially, particularly with illnesses, these things were considered a result of some type of sin that they had committed, or maybe their parents. But it's your fault. There's a reason why, and it's, your, and it's you. And while that might sound like backwards thinking uh, of ancient people who were not as advanced in their understanding of medicine and science and the universe as we are, I'm not so sure that we're very different than they are. Um, if we're honest, there are parts of ourselves um, and our pri privilege that we blame others for their circumstances, their unfortunate circumstances. If they just make better choices, learn how to manage your money. Have less kids. Take better care of yourself. Eat healthier. Even the best of us, at times, those thoughts cross our minds. Not so much because we are, want to put people down or, or we want to blame them, but more so because we want to comfort ourselves. And, and I have tried a lot of ways to comfort myself this week because I know that I'm on the receiving end of the woes of Luke's passage. In the context of Jesus' audience of that day, by whatever measurement we would use, all of us in this room are the rich. We're all on the receiving end of the woes. And that's probably the reason why we tend to prefer Matthew, because he doesn't even list any woes. It's all just Beatitudes. And, and even he, he spiritualizes it a bit and just says poor in spirit. But Luke doesn't give us any wiggle room. He's talking about not just people who are poor in spirit, but people who are economically poor. He reminds us that the kingdom of God gives favor to lift up, to honor the economically poor, the physically poor, ill and mentally ill, the outcast, the marginalized. The message of Luke and the kingdom of God forces us into the uncomfortable. It addresses our money, our greed, what we consume. It's not just the spiritual sweet by and by. But my first sermon, I mean, my first question for this sermon was, what does Jesus mean when he says, blessed? Because in our world today, I think the word means something very different than what it meant then, or even when it was translated into English. Because not only are we dealing with a word that was probably not spoken in Greek, it was then translated into, written down in Greek, and then translated into English. And English is a language in which the meaning of words are changing all the time. I mean, just... You know, it's hard to keep up. Oh, I'm not, supposed to call, I'm not supposed to say that. I'm supposed to say this. It's not this. It's that. Even words like nice. Did you know the word nice originally, originally meant silly or foolish? Simple. So if any of you guys tell me that uh, 
I had a nice sermon tonight. I know what you're saying. Um, Meanwhile, the word silly went in the opposite direction. Its earliest uses referred to things that were worthy or blessed. And then it kind of evolved to something that was weak and vulnerable, and now it just means foolish. Awful. Awful actually meant things worthy of all, full of all. And it does not mean that today. Even symbols change. This symbol. Originally, not just a tic-tac-toe board, originally it was a measurement. It was called a pound for centuries, called a pound or a number sign. It was a measurement. But in 2007, some guy from Twitter decided to call it a hashtag. And he declared it some, a hashtag and put it in front of words to identify digital content. So in my quest to understand what the word blessed meant, I, you know, did hashtag blessed, of course. <laughs> and I did not find any photos of what Jesus was talking about. I didn't find any images of people who looked to be poor or hungry or mourning or ridiculed. So when the English language fails us, I um, looked at the original language. So the the original Greek word is makarios, translated blessed. Sometimes it's translated as happy, which is not a great translation. Fortunate, it can be translated as privileged. Maybe we should say hashtag privileged because that's what those pictures more look like. Um, But it means unburdened, at peace. When Jesus tells the poor that they are blessed, I don't think he's trivializing their current situation. He's looking at them in the eyes. He's seeing where they are. I don't think Jesus is, in the words of the great theologian Johnny Cash, so heavenly-minded he's no earthly good. But consistent with the person of Jesus and the themes of Luke, Jesus is bringing honor to those who've experienced the shame of poverty, hunger, to those who've been ridiculed. It's the upside-down kingdom. The economy, this kind of economy of blessing sounds absurd. And maybe that is the way silly became something else. Maybe it originated here and began to transform here. But a rearranging of honor and privilege that the church will find terribly uncomfortable and even offensive for centuries and still today. I like the way the message translates this, the, the part about the blessings. Jesus says, you're blessed when you've lost it all. God's kingdom is there for the finding. You're blessed when you're ravenously hungry. Then you're ready for the messianic meal. You're blessed when the tears flow freely, joy comes with the morning. And then Jesus is talking to the poor, the marginalized, and then I imagine in this sermon Jesus turning and looking straight at me. The uncomfortable part, the woes. The the word woe actually in Greek is kind of fun to say. It's uai. It's sort of like it's It's as much a a sound as it is a word, sort of like the way we would use, ugh, ugh, 
the rich. If it were an emoji, it would be an eye roll. Yeah. Ugh. But why? But the, the, the word woe, actually, it carries with it an expression of grief and lament. And here it's, it's more of a watch out, look out. Like we would say to someone that we love who's not really seeing what's in front of them. The message says it like this, but it's trouble ahead if you think that you've made it. What you have is all you'll ever get. And it's trouble ahead if you're satisfied with yourself. Yourself will not satisfy you for long. It's trouble ahead if you think life's all fun and games. There's suffering to be met, and you're going to meet it. When we're comfortable, when we're healthy and respected, we're not desperate. We lack the sense of urgency for the activity of God. We're not actively seeking or seeing God's reign in our lives. And it's not necessarily because we are callous or uncaring or terrible sinners. It's just that we are full. So Jesus levels with us and lets us know that in no uncertain terms, God's favor does not rest on the well-off. It does not rest on those whose refrigerators are are full of grass-fed meats and organic multicolored vegetables, or by today's standards, just a refrigerator with food in it. It doesn't rest on the powerful or the popular or even those who are verified on TikTok. God's favor rests on those who have nothing, nothing but God. Jesus' message is clear that if we want to know where God's heart is, we should look to the destitute, the starving, the grieving, the desperate, the shamed. They are the fortunate. They are honored by God. I like the way Barbara Brown Taylor explains this sermon. She says it's not advice at all. It's not even judgment. It's simply the truth about the way things work pronounced by someone who loves everyone. The lectionary concludes this sermon with a command from Jesus to love our enemies. And then he tells us how to do that. And these, these verses, we have to be careful with them because I think they've been misused and misunderstood, and they've been used to blame people and bind people in abusive situations, but that is a misunderstanding and misuse of the text completely. In verse 27, Jesus says, are you ready to hear the truth? I mean, I'm leveling with you, but here it's about to get a little raw, a little more raw. He instructs us to love our enemies. He brings honor to the shame and a warning to those in power. He says, if someone strikes you, turn the other cheek. So when someone strikes me on this cheek, as I am turning the other cheek, they are going to have to look at me in the eyes as I turn my cheek. Jesus is leveling. Jesus is equalizing and bringing honor to the shamed. In the process, and then he says, if, if someone takes your coat, give them your, your tunic is what it says, 
And basically what it's saying to the people here, it's saying, if someone takes your coat, strip down naked. Just strip down naked. Because in this culture, to behold someone's nakedness was way more shameful than even to be naked. Leveling. Jesus continues this theme of flipping the script of honor and shame by leveling the dynamics of power and dismantling the oppressive systems. It's not about ignoring the actions of our enemies. We just simply choose to be shaped by something greater than those actions. And that is love. Love is the only means to redeem and transform. I can't acknowledge an All Saints Day or light a candle in memory of someone without remembering our friend Tony Robinson. Uh, when Aubrey was younger and she was a part of Godly Play, they created uh, boxes for um, a saint in their life. And she created a box for Saint Tony. Um, you know, he, he was, for those of you who don't know Tony um, or didn't have the chance to know Tony, uh, he came to us when, he, when I first met Tony. Tony didn't have any teeth. Um, he was an addict. Uh, he was uh, in recovery. Um, he was homeless, although we didn't know that for a little while because he wouldn't let people know that. Um, but he came to, to Hattiesburg and, and really transformed so many of us, really blessed so many of us um, and our lives. But unfortunately, Tony was, um, was murdered in the place where he helped people. And I remember that night, it had been a, a really difficult day, and um, I, just, I thought, I'm just going to turn the news on to get my mind off of all the grief. And I turned the news on, and the lead story... Carrie Leggett Brown, I remember the lead story, the words that came out of her mouth were, today, a prominent citizen in our community was murdered. And she was talking about Tony. And I thought he would have giggled at that. <laughs> um, but something, I want, what I want to tell you about Tony is about someone in Tony's life. See, Tony came to us from Texas and in Texas, uh, they have this law. I hope, I hope they still don't have this law, but they had this law at the time. It was called three strikes and you're out. So you go to jail, you go to, um, you, you're convicted um, three times. The third time, you go for life. So the third strike, you're out for life. And Tony had been in and out, and he had two strikes. And then... He was arrested again. And the woman processing his paperwork, she lost his paperwork and told him to get out of Texas. Now, Tony thought, you know, she, could, she might have been an angel or something. I do know she was an agent of God. She recognized an unjust system and saw past the attic. She saw past the prisoner the sinner, and she saw a saint of God in front of her. 
a saint who had yet to recognize his own identity as one transformed and redeemed by love. So this sermon is for the saints and the sinners. And to borrow an, an altered phrase from Cesar Cruz, Jesus brings comfort to the disturbed and disturbs our comfort with a warning about our tendency towards self-worship, self-reliance, and control. As a blessed community, we are challenged to expand our view of love and honor and to experience the world through God's ability to use flawed people to do divine things. Let's pray. God, we give thanks for the ancestors of our faith, for people like Peter and for people like Mary. We give thanks for the pastors, the teachers, the mentors of our life who have invested in us. We give thanks to our family members, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, uncles, and parents who have gone before us, who have shown us your love. And we give thanks for all the saints that are, have left us and those who are among us. And we pray that we would continue to follow in their footsteps, to follow in Christ's footsteps and be a blessed community. In Jesus' name. Amen.